You're listening to Saster's Podcast, the best in SaaS content to help you scale up and grow faster. We're already counting down to Saster Annual 2020. For our loyal podcast listeners, we want to give you $100 off towards your ticket. Just buy your ticket using code FAVE100. So let's start. I want to uh, welcome everybody on behalf of Harry Stebbings and myself. I want to welcome Nick Mehta from Gainsight back to our podcast. Um, Nick is one of my favorite SaaS and cloud founders. Um, we're going to add, we're going to have a, some goofy fun at Saster Annual this year and add cloud influencers. And Nick's going to be one of them. He's promised to wear a cloud influencer sash to Saster Annual. This oh my year. gosh. That's exciting. So, I always wanted a sash. That's great. Yes. We're going to get a cloud. <laughs> you know, we started Saster in the beginning when you came, you're, you're OG. And we had um, like the SaaS celebrities and the cutouts of people. But we're big enough now in SaaS and cloud to have cloud influencers, don't you think? I, I think it's ready, and, and that's a, I will not only be a Saster, but Sashter as well. So I like Saster. that. That is perfect. <laughs> so what I wanted, what we wanted to talk today was a couple things related. Um, you'd said to me, um, you'd referenced this tweet that you got a lot of engagement on. That is, uh, there's many great things about a podcast, but seeing a tweet isn't one of them. Uh, but it was. Uh, I'll read it and then you, we can chat about some meta issues around it. Hung out with the fellow CEO today and we were refreshingly able to have a conversation that wasn't about crushing it. Um, I love that sort of macho term, crushing it, but was instead more about our day-to-day struggles, <laughs> fears and worries. Life feels vivid and powerful when people are vulnerable with each other. So I think maybe that's the topic today is vulnerabilities, imposter syndrome, crushing it. And you just won one of your 11th awards talking about that 100 million in ARR is not that far in the distant future for Gainsight, is it? Yeah, no, it's pretty close. So, yeah. So you shouldn't have abilities or imposter syndrome. You should be telling everybody you're crushing it, shouldn't you, Mr. Nine Figures in ARR to be? <laughs> I think that's what you're supposed to say. That's the party line in Silicon Valley. But I think I'm, I'm, I'm somehow a rebel without a cause. I, I can't. I, um, I just, uh, like, we'll talk a lot about it, but honestly, I feel a lot of feelings and some of them are awesome and some of them are challenging and, and uh, I don't want to hide those feelings and I think too many people have to hide their feelings, so. Yes. Do you, have you ever, have you felt in the history of Gainsider before that you've, that you've gotten to that next level, that you're in this elite group of CEOs? Do you feel worthy of sitting down with Jeff Lawson or, or Mark Benioff or Eric Wan? <laughs> No, I'm not worthy at all um, of any of those. I like. I, I've been fortunate to meet both Eric and Jeff, and I'm, I, I think I can. I can hold my own in karaoke with Jeff Lawson, and I. And I, that's the only only place I can be on the same stage with him. But I really respect those guys a lot, and yeah, I mean they're definitely they're like titans of the industry, and I I look up to them um, along with others. I look up to those two specifically because I think they balance unbelievable success, but also genuine like human values, which we I'm sure you and I both respect. So. And so, and just like a, a question around that. So, so th- those are the guys that you, you hope to be, hope to emulate and be one of those guys. Related to this vulnerabilities, when you meet a CEO, we just invested together in a great CEO that's at 3 million ARR that thinks you're, yeah. you're the Jeff Lawson, you're the iconic guy. And <laughs> these folks look up to you. What advice do you give them back in terms of this whole vulnerabilities and imposter syndrome? What do you say to these guys? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, by the way, I'm, I definitely did not start this vulnerability with Brene Brown from, you know, the TED Talk, and she has a great Netflix episode as well, if you haven't seen it. Um, unbelievable thought leader on how vulnerability and owning up to your, um, not just your strengths, but, you know, the things you struggle with is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of courage. And I, I really, really believe in that. And so for me, that's something that's kind of developed along the way. Um, I think in general, I've always, ne I've never felt like, um, I'm just, I'm a CEO, so I need to act like a CEO. I've just felt like I'm a human being, so I have to just be who I am. But over the years at Gainsight, um, I have definitely like leaned into the vulnerability. And there's some very specific moments, actually, I can take you through that, that sort of like started me on this journey and maybe relevant to other people. Um, there's, there's, we do every, every year we get, get like our, most of our company together for this awesome, you know, kind of bonding event. We go, you know, offsite and, you know, have fun and do some training and things like that. Yep. And, um, you know, I give a, I give a speech, you know, normal thing of, Hey, here's how the company's going. Here's what we did last year, all the things that probably everyone does. But, um, I decided that I wanted to end, this is like two and a half years ago with, um, just trying to embrace this vulnerability concept. And I actually talked about, um, the fact that when I, although now I'm you know definitely more of an extrovert and I meet lots of people when I was a kid, I, for whatever reason, I just could not fit in. And so literally from uh, kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, almost every single day I ate lunch alone and I never didn't have any friends. And I honestly would like hide in the computer lab. So I didn't have to have the ignominy of walking through the lunchroom and trying to find somebody to sit with. And, and, and e even though now I, you know, just objectively know tons of people like you do as well, I don't really feel like I have that many friends or that like I'm that connected or that people like me or whatever. And so I still struggle with that stuff. And so in this company, uh, all hands, I spoke about all that. And it yeah. was this watershed moment where other people then started sharing their feelings as well, the things they struggle with. And there's this amazing moment where one of our product managers was in front of the audience doing her talk. And then she just froze and said that she gets um, anxiety about speech speaking. And she like stopped for a second. And she was like, kind of like, you know, had some emotions and everyone in the audience like cheered her on all of us. Cause you could feel like we're all in this together. And so from that moment, I went from that company all hands to then our pulse conference a few years ago and closing with talking about vulnerability, the same issue of like childhood anxieties and all that. And then now everything I do, every event, I try to bring, you know, that personal story about the things I wrestle with. Um, my, my latest talk track is about loneliness and how loneliness is a thing that I've all experienced and how we all experience it. And in technology, you can feel even more lonely than ever. And so I think this stuff is powerful because it's real. It is. Let me, you know, the odds that Gainsight fails coming up on 100 million in revenue are, are less than 0.001%. But on this vulnerability and transparency thing, what as a CEO looking back, having done it twice, what, do you, what should you not share? Like what is too much information? Um, because yeah. if you overshare, we all, I like to share too, but I, I feel like 90% is about the right number. There are some things that will panic the team or it's TMI, right? What's the, do you know, do you yeah. have a sense of what the line is? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's interesting because when I share vulnerability, it's more about myself and, and less about the company because I do think there's some element of, you have so many random thoughts in your head um, yeah. as a CEO, founder, et cetera, that you're, if every one of those is just digested right to people, they can't handle it, right? It's a little bit like if you're in a relationship you probably don't sell, say everything you uh, think to your spouse or partner or friend, your significant other, right? You probably don't want to say every single thing you think. Yeah, you can, that, there's a line, right? And I, so I think there's something with your teammates, which is being very vulnerable about who you are, but, but also being kind of 
confident and, and thoughtful about where we're going. Because I think that the team can't handle being pulled in a different direction every single hour. I just did a all you know kind of an AMA with an accelerator yesterday with Accelerprise. And I told them that like one of the biggest mistakes I think founders make is they like take the company in a different direction every day. And I've made that mistake too. And so I think just because you have a fear about something doesn't mean the company needs to march in that direction tomorrow, right? And so being really thoughtful about what, how your fears could be turned into action accidentally. Yes. Uh, I think, I think I've learned uh, as soon as you have employees who aren't 10 feet from you, it's hard to understand what the priorities really are, right? You have to be oh intentional, right? You, Nick says one thing and all of a sudden the whole company jumps on it. Uh, if you don't, don't realize that they don't know how to force rank these priorities on their own. And, you, and if you're listening, like one of the things that will be like profound is you get to, you know, let's say you get to 50 or 100 people, 200. You'll literally hear secondhand that somebody did something because Nick said or you, you said that you did. And you, you're like, I didn't even say that. And so there's this danger that like the Nick said or the CEO said becomes this like scope for like infinite like growth of all the priorities. And that's why, like you said, Jason, keeping a very disciplined process of what the company priorities are and reinforcing them all the time is so important. Yeah. Um, and uh, have you found, as you discuss your vulnerabilities, it probably encourages other people to do the same at the company, right? Yeah, that's um, right. What, how do you handle it when, when people maybe overshare or they share things maybe they shouldn't share? How do you, how do you handle those scenarios? I mean, have you found that happen? That sometimes that's an unintentional effect of, yeah. Transparency and vulnerability is some folks just naturally share the wrong things or maybe even accidentally share inappropriate things. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think there's obviously got to be a foundation of your values and your culture about like, let's say, um, things that would not be appropriate to talk to other people about at work related to making them feel uncomfortable. That, that's kind of thing you, you're talking about, Jason. And it's, you know, I think where this can happen a lot nowadays because it's a little bit more of a charged climate. So somebody could say something that kind of causes somebody else to feel a different way. So we've had to go through some of that. We've had to say, okay, these kinds of things are like not really appropriate to talk about at work. And naturally it's things like politics, et cetera, right? Just those are, those are things that are better to like keep sort of outside of the workplace. And we had to do that by honestly by learning. So one of the things I would say is when you see those things happen, you do have to jump on it and like take a point of view. You can't just let it fester because if it festers, it can just kind of grow out of control. There's some things that we do encourage people to talk about that maybe other companies don't. Like, for example, we're very passionate about diversity and inclusion. So we, we have people talk about that and like how they feel about that and like where they don't feel like they, they, are fit, they fit in. And that's something that we talk about openly, but it may make some people feel a little less businesslike. But at least we've officially said that that's inbounds. So defining kind of what's inbound, what's what's out of bounds. Yep. So let's on this. Let's let's step back a bit on the maybe uh, uh, the, using vulnerabilities as kind of a meta topic about founder journeys um, and CEO journeys. Yeah. Right? So I think you and I first met in 2013 at an event, and maybe it might have been before that, but an event uh, Cosanoa put together in Palo Alto in early 2013. I remember that one. And I totally I remember. Yeah. Recently joined Gainsight. I don't think Gainsight was yeah. at a million in revenue. My, it was probably in the no, zone. It was like a, it was like hundred grand of error at that point. Yeah, yeah. I convinced you to come on, whoever, whatever VC did. Um, it was a good. It was obviously great recruiting. And you made a comment to me. The company you sold before, I should have remembered. What was it called? The Discovery Live, live Office. Yeah, Live yeah. Office sold to Symantec. Yep. And you sold to Symantec for a hundred million in twenty ten yeah. or twenty something, like 2009. Back in the day, that was a significant exit, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. It was. Like getting to a hundred million in uh, in enterprise software was a big exit, 
And you made a comment to me, which you may not remember, but I thought about it about 500 times since you said it. Maybe wow. Before, which was that uh, I said, how do you feel about selling? He's like, it was great, but it's going to take me five years to get back. Right. And so, yeah, right. fast forward, Gainsight, six years. I mean, obviously, Gainsight has grown by ARR much faster than Live Office did. But yeah. it doesn't mean the point was wrong, right? To, if you yeah, sell something exactly. at scale, if you sell something at scale and you think you can just start over again, it's five years to get back usually to where you were, right? That's exactly right. And, you know, it's five years. It's many years in many ways, right? So one is obviously, like, getting to the scale. I know we're, we're you know, Gainsight's way bigger than my last company was. But then there's another element, which is, you know, you put a lot of work into whatever company you have. You know, you design yeah. it the way you want to. The values, the culture, the product, the people. It's unbelievable amount of passion. And so, you know, nothing wrong with selling. Selling's a very natural part of the process, et cetera. And you've written lots of great things about when to sell. But um, just be aware that, like, that's like you're at the end of your project and you have to start another one at some point. Even if you were to join a late-stage company, you know, as a CEO or whatever, even then you still have to build five years worth of your own stuff into it, put your own heart and soul into it. Um, and um, yeah, I'm six and a half years in and I, you know, I feel like, okay, all of these things now, like it's, 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 it's here and we have now just have to keep making it bigger. So let's talk about six and a half years second, but before we do what, when you meet founders, because a lot of folks do want to do seek you out, that are doing well but tired, right? They're they're they're, yeah. they're in that five that four to five year zone. What advice do you give folks that are getting crispy and getting burnt? Um, that that aren't failing. They're not failing, right? But they have that. They have. They're running out of gas. Yeah, totally. And I, and it's interesting because it ties back to that tweet because I think some of it could be that they're they're not failing, but there's a little bit like being. If we're really honest, we all see the crazy, unbelievable success stories like a Zoom or a Twilio yeah. or I just know, heard this podcast day, and Gainsight's coming up a hundred million. I'm failing. I, I started at the yeah. same time as Nick. I'm going to throw in the towel. Oh. All of us feel these like kind of like you can look at like um, you can open up Twitter and it can be a bit of a pit of despair for whoever, you know, because you see all the things that are happening that are great to other people. Right. And so I think no matter what you're doing, it, it can feel like, honestly, sometimes I'll have be having a great day and I'll open up Twitter and I'll be like, oh, I'm failing because compared to these other people, I'm failing. Right. And look, we're a lot of us were overachievers going up and we we wanted to get the best grades or whatever. And now we're like in this like sort of much bigger world. And so what I tell people for what it's worth is, I guess, maybe two things that for me are three things that are helpful for me. One is um, kind of like really con continuing to like get a chance to connect directly with the impact you're making. So for, you know, for me, it's like getting to meet the customers that we're impacting or like in our world, we help create this kind of customer success job, meeting the CSMs out there in the world that like feel like we've helped to create this job category. We did, we do these events in different parts of the world. We did one in New York on Tuesday and it's so inspiring to just go shake people's hands who say, wow, thank you for helping my, make my career relevant. Right. Or meeting the teammates that you don't even know that well, that like are so excited about your vision, meeting new people to your company, by the way, they will bring you more energy. New people are so, key because you've been doing this four or five years and that new person comes in bright eyed bushy tailed right just so excited and i think that's really really important is all that new energy in the company so that's one thing is just seeing people and meeting the impact i think the second thing that's that's important is controlling that sort of that ego envy thing as much as you can by maybe maybe taking some time off from social media although i certainly love following all the jason Lincoln tweets um, but taking some time off from social media as much as you can and then um and then finally um on that note 
Um, I, I, for me at least, it is therapeutic to be able to kind of t turn off technology some different points in time. We can talk more about this more with family, but it actually helps me a lot. So I do think you need that therapy, whatever that therapy is. Oh, one other thing, by the way, if, if the founders listen to this, if you don't have a coach, that's something I do highly recommend considering. I've got a great coach. And I think I was actually, I was at an event listening to John Donahoe, who's a CEO of ServiceNow speak. And he was talking about, he's like one of the best CEOs of all time. He's a CEO of Bain, the consulting fund company, eBay, ServiceNow. And he said he's got a coach, he's got a therapist, and he's got a Buddhist preacher, a Buddhist like, you know, teacher. And he's like, he surrounds himself with help. And so don't feel bad about getting help. He said the best athletes in the world have so much help around them, trainers, psychologists, et cetera. If you want to be a great athlete as a CEO, get help. Yeah, I think that was one of my top three feelings as a CEO was not having a coach. Um, how often do you, how'd you find your coach and how often do you meet with her or him? Yes, I've got a coach named Kelly Warner, and she's, she's amazing. So I'm actually in a group called YPO, which is like a CEO peer group, which is another way that you might get some kind of peer therapy. And she was our facilitator. So I met her that way. Um, and she's kind of a professional coach. And I meet with her probably every like, I'd say every six weeks. So it's not like every week. Um, in the early days, I might have done it more frequently. But it's amazing to just be able to debrief of like, here's all the problems. Because that's another thing. I mean, another observation I have is the bigger you get, like, statistically, the percentage of things that go wrong might go down, maybe get better, right? But because the aggregate number of things you're doing goes up, the number of things that go wrong every day keeps going up forever. The number of customer problems, the number of employee problems, the number of issues, it just keeps growing forever. And if you don't have some way to get release, you're just going to get overwhelmed. Yeah. I remember Karen Peacock from Intercom was talking about scaling and said, if the employees had to know every issue we're having, they'd all like jump off the roof. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You can't kill yeah. these companies, but the number of issues sca also scales exponentially, right? Um, Completely. So the coach, um, it's good. And um, do you think that, uh, can a board member or investor serve that role? Or is there inherently sort of a, a subtle conflict in that role? Yeah, it's a great question. I think they can serve some of the role and it's great to have like a relationship. Maybe one of your board members could be your chair chairperson or be like a great sounding board or maybe multiple. And I've got some amazing board members, you you know, all of them and they're they're yep. so awesome and like sounding boards for me. One of those my, one of them is our chairperson and and so it's all great. Um, I still don't think that you can have the same level of candor, especially around things that are like very personal to you. Like, you know, how's this going to work out for you financially? Or, you know, when's the exit going to come if you're looking for an exit or yep. issues with like, like your like salary and all these things that are legitimate things that you might be dealing with and you feel bad about asking about. It's hard to talk to your board about that. And related to that on this vulnerabilities and, and what you can share with your board, I, I do know, I don't, I'm, I can't remember everyone in your board, but I do know quite a few folks in your board, but you've had a couple startups, right? How do yeah. you, from this, from, from dealing with these externalities, when you have a board member that puts you down a lot, and some folks do that from the Sandhill or South Park Perch, how, how do you deal with that at a personal level when a very successful VC says, you know, Nick, you should be doing better, right? And and I know yeah. you're crushing it, but I know every year you have not had perfectly linear growth, have you? I think you had a challenging right. No. year, right? Totally, totally, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about whenever, I, I think I was with you, and I know you still, from everyone else's perspective, your challenging year was a good year, but I, I seem to remember you were telling me you had a challenging year, and how did you deal yeah. with the externalities and the internalities and the board and all these folks during a year when growth was slower than you hoped? Well, I think one, one thing, I'm, I'm very lucky that I think we do have a board that, uh, I think the best boards can kind of 
uh, help you when in the times are tough and challenge you when things are going well, right? It's almost like they want, they can be like the, the sort of help balance out the ups and downs. And so honestly, my board is phenomenal in like being the, the group that actually is there for you when things are challenging. That being said, it's putting aside that like they might help you. There's still the brutal reality that you're not doing as well as you would like to be doing at any given yes. point. Right. And it's always, it even might be true on a day to day basis. And I think that sometimes I've seen board members, not a, not a gain site, but other ones where they're, they're like tough on people when things aren't going great. Right. And so the way I like to, for our company, at least think about that is there is an objective reality. Um, and some board members are good at like maybe couching that so you can internalize it with a little bit more care and other ones may give it to you straight. Um, and that's okay. And they're just, that's just how they, they can be different, but in both cases, the objective reality is, is objective. You know, it really is like the truth. And so uh, what I think you have to recognize is that if you were a shareholder in the company, you would feel the same way. And that's what I mean. That's one of the things I'm trying to teach our company more of is, Think like an external shareholder, not completely because we have any other reasons we do gainsight besides making money. But if we put ourselves in the eyes of the shareholder, imagine like you bought your stock and quit the company. What would you want the company to do? And then yeah. that's what this person is telling you. And so I think that's the only way you can do You can't change them. It's hard to change your board members. It's hard to even coach them. So all you can do is hear the feedback in a way that's useful to you. Were you in Gainsight's obviously never had a terrible year given its growth, but in your more challenging year or two, were you, were you discouraged? Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. How, like, did, you, how yeah. did you handle Maybe. that? Did you share your discouragement? Did you, and how did your board and employees and management team handle when you felt discouraged? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, it's funny because um, Ben Horowitz, the, the famous book, he's a you know partner in Andreessen Horowitz and he wrote this book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And in, there's a chapter that says that when you know things are going bad, you should share everything with your team. And he, he has a great example of that. Um, but what I took away, from, I actually tried that. And I, what I took away from this whole lesson is it, you have to do something that's tied to your style. And I'm a very positive, optimistic person, as you probably know, Jason. And so I tried the Ben Horowitz thing once in an all hands when things didn't go well in quarter. And honestly, it just brought everyone super down. It was very ineffective <laughs> because that's not my style. Right. And so I could never be Ben Horowitz. And so I think that I think that it's a little bit more like what what type of style works for you and then how do you share that so if you're if you're not feeling as great you may want to be vulnerable about that but you also want a channel that like people look to you as a leader and like you know i think at the end of the day if the battle isn't going well it's not very inspirational to just talk about that without talking about how we're going to win it so you actually have to kind of right yeah, you got to pick yourself up and figure it out and then go like fire up the troops, right? So that's, that's, people say it's lonely at the top. That's where it's lonely is that you actually have to eventually come back, pick yourself up, figure it out and come up with a plan and share with the team. And that one of the best uh, blog posts uh, from Ben Horowitz again, ever in the history of all leadership is called Nobody Cares. And it's this thing that's like, if you haven't read it, I don't know if you know it, Jason, but it's basically like, um, you know, you miss your quarter, nobody cares. Customers aren't happy and nobody cares. You have to figure it out. You're the CEO. It's your job. And so that's another thing that you said. How do you find some like, um, how do you find this sort of uh, an uplift through some of these challenging times? The way I do it is saying I am very privileged to have this job. There's a lot of people that have much tougher jobs than I do. I can wallow in misery about the challenges I have, or I can be thankful that my challenges are much easier than the person that's in a trench in warfare or like has a patient dying on the table. And I'm going to just like be grateful and figure it out. So once you go through that vulnerability and self pity and all that, you got to come out the other side for sure. 
All right, let's just hit two other things before we run out of time. I made up a new term for this for this for this discussion. I call it TAM anxiety. Um, oh yeah, total addressable it. market anxiety. We've all had it. I've written about Completely. it in the e-signature space. I wrote, I, I didn't know it'd be a $1.5 billion market today when it was 3 million when I entered it. I had TAM right. anxiety. If you're in a new category like you have, you'll have it. Even if you're in an old category, if you're honest, you'll say, you know what? I'm in a $50 billion category, but I'm only good at one piece, right? That's right. Inside, not only have you lived it in a newish category, but you've expanded your footprint intentionally. That's right. right? Beyond yeah. your core. So, I don't want to do a gain site commercial on expansion. I want to use it a little bit to get into your head. How would, how do you think about TAM for gain site? How do you think about that in terms of expanding where you go? And how do you think about it maybe in terms of anxieties you've had along the way about is the TAM enough? Like, can I build totally. a big enough business to make this all work for these shareholders? I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think that it's interesting. I wrote a blog post on this a while back and, and, and a little preface. I, my, one of my nerdy interests on the side is like science and physics and things like that. So the blog post was basically about how um, TAM is a, in software is a little bit like the, the change from like classical physics with like Newton to quantum physics. And without going through a deep physics uh, lesson, the truth is in the old definition of science, we thought everything was very objective and there was an objective reality. But it turns out when we actually measure things, we influence the reality. And that's what quantum physics is all about. Well, the, the parallel to software, I mean, I wrote about this is it's easy to think the world is very fixed, that there's like a certain market and it's a certain size and there's a report on how big it is. But actually, yep. if you look at all the great entrepreneurs, they influence that market. Salesforce's TAM, it wasn't Salesforce's TAM when they started. Benioff said, oh yeah, it should include data integration and marketing automation and e-commerce software. And now their TAM is gigantic. And so I think the biggest TAMs were created not by a market and an external definition, but by the ambition of an entrepreneur and the ability to stitch things together. So there's like, you have more control over it than you think is one, one thing. So for me, that journey has been, okay, we started with customer success. There's customer success managers. They work in certain kinds of companies like SaaS companies. There's a certain number of them. We can ride yeah, that up. Classic criticism of Gainsight. If you only sell the B2B totally. customer success managers, B2B, yeah, how would you ever yeah. get to 100 million? There's not enough of them, yeah. right? That's right. And it's interesting because one thing that happens is markets change, they evolve. Um, and so CSM grew super fast. There's like growing more than 100% a year as a job. And so, yep. yeah, that little market now is not a huge market, it's a pretty big market now. And so, number one is your market itself might have a tailwind. And you may be underestimating that. So understanding what is that tailwind in your market. But then number two, like I talked about with Benioff, you have an ability to expand that market, right? And so how, you, you think about Twilio, you talked about Jeff Watson before. And if he said it was just SMS messaging, that's one thing. But now he buys SendGrid and now it's email and he can do so many different things, right? Yep. And so how do you expand the market? For us, that ended up being, okay, we don't just want to be about customer success managers. We want to be about making companies more customer centric in general. So we got into, you know, making products more customer centric through product analytics, making sales teams more customer centric in terms of renewals and expansion. So we're doing lots of things outside of the boundaries of what we started with. And so one recommendation I would have for people that feel TAM anxiety is, is kind of creating a pipeline of things to keep expanding your TAM instead of thinking about it as like one time, you're just going to figure, figure it all out. So I, I wish one thing I wish I'd done sooner is almost have a bunch of new things to keep expanding and a bunch of experiments. And you've, again, you use Salesforce as an example, 
Um, they're obviously a very big company, but they've bought lots of companies and some didn't work, right? You and I both know some of them didn't work, but that's exactly how it should work. You're going to buy some, they, some work, some don't. So you may not be ready to buy companies on this podcast, but are you going to launch new products? And you should be boldly launching new things and some will work and some won't, but they'll keep expanding your TAM. Always have a pipeline of things to keep expanding your footprint. Yeah, it's interesting. Let me ask you as well. I asked this question to Jeff Lawson, I think it in the 2017 annual, and I asked it to Peter Gassner of Viva, like how to add to their TAM and their products. And they gave the same answer, but they gave very different versions of it. Uh, Peter Gassner was only do one or two things and they have to be bigger than my core. So he went all yeah, in on their vault product yep. and their vault product vault, now is right. bigger velocity and is bigger than their CRM, okay? Jeff's like, no, I wanna launch 50 products. I wanna be hyper agile and I wanna see what sticks and, and I want things that, that extend what I have and Peter's like, no, if I just wanted to extend what I have, that's a feature. That's not a new line. So I got there. I want to blend them into one video because there are two different answers. What have you learned? Do you do you try to do something that attaches to the base? Do you go bold? Do you go incremental? Do you go agile or do you focus yeah. on one thing at a time? It's a great question. I think that some of it's the structure of your market. So to me, um, the, if you have one gigantic, obvious, uncontested old opportunity next to you, which is probably what Pete had with Vault then it's, yeah, go for it, for sure, that's great. I think most people don't live in that world. There's not one gigantic obvious adjacency that's uncontested or old. I think the reason he was able to do that is he's dominated a vertical market that's so old and esoteric that he's he has all these things right around him. If you're in that situation, I'd say go do the Viva strategy. If you're in a little bit more of a horizontal product category, I think it's more likely you're gonna be in the Twilio situation, which is definitely the gain site situation as well. Yep. And so it's more gonna be like money ball, like lots of little things and some of them will work. Got it. All right, last question, going back to our journey, our journey kind of topic, uh, the vulnerabilities and beyond. You're in year six and a half at Gainsight? Yes, yeah. What's your top hack that you can think of to reinvigorate yourself for the second five years of your journey? Yeah, good question. I will say that I've, um, for me personally, this tech disconnection thing, I know it's, you know, it's a buzzword, a lot of people talk about it. It's been real and I've been very intentional about it. So Friday night, I have a very important ritual, which is very inefficient. I go on my iPhone, I turn off email so you can't receive it. I delete Slack, I delete Twitter, I delete LinkedIn, so I couldn't even see them and think about them. So literally everything on my iPhone is only about kids' photos or whatever, and so I have no connection. And then Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening when I get back online, I install those things again. Now there's probably a better way to do this, by the way, there's some app probably that does this. Should email me if there's an app. But I, I actually have this like really strong ritual now, and that gives me so much energy each week. I really appreciate it. Got it. All right, good tip, Nick. Thanks for this, this was great. We'll, we'll continue the conversation on the journey. Um, we'll definitely check in again, but especially at year 10. We'll, uh, we'll visit the next five years and we'll learn Love the next it. tips. I don't even know what mobile devices are going to look like then, do you? I don't even know. They'll all, they're all embedded I, in our I, retinas. I, I'm hoping the singularities happen by then, so you and I are just robots. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But yeah. yeah. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks for all the time and congrats on, uh, on the milestones coming up. What did the meeting rooms of big brands like SoulCycle and Lola.com have in common? A wise bird told us that it's the meeting owl. A smart 360-degree video conferencing camera, which gives remote workers an immersive experience during virtual meetings. Join OWL Labs in bringing teams together for better work at owllabs.com.